1: Almost every industry is going through a transformation today, from the way consumers buy, companies identify talent, people invest, banks lend, and startups raise capital has changed or is changing. There are more choices, more access, more secure technology, and more freedom. We recently had Jennifer Kaysen, author of Raise Capital on Your Own Terms, How to Fund Your Business Without Selling Your Soul, on the show. In an after-show conversation, Jennifer reminded us that everyone is an investor. With that thought in mind and the recent increase in the number of companies using initial coin offerings or ICOs as a fundraising strategy, today's show focuses on the what, why, when, and how of ICOs as a means to raise capital. Traditionally, startups had a few options to raise funds. They had Kickstarter, traditional bank loans, private equity, friends and family, or other venture and angel investments and investment opportunities were really only open to accredited investors. Well, despite the volatility of the cryptocurrency market today, the ICO landscape is changing fast and becoming more attractive for founders and investors. Many companies use ICOs as a crowdfunding-like approach that sells part of the currency to the community and early adopters. Usually, the digital currencies, based on a blockchain platform, offer tokens. For today's conversation, tokens and coins will be regarded as cryptocurrencies, and the development of a token is critical to the success of an ICO. Tokens usually provide an advantage to the user community and can be utilized to buy or use a product or service within a platform. The key differences between a traditional initial product offering, or IPO, and ICOs is the sale of a token. We have a knowledgeable panel very active in reviewing white papers, contracts, vetting teams and advising companies who have decided to use ICOs as a way to fundraise. So let's get started and meet the team and get into the discussion. Hello. First,
2: I'd like to ask Amy, Maureen, Sampson, and Desiree. First of all, thank you very much for being here in studio as well. And, and um, thank you for being here. And we'd like for you to in- introduce yourselves to our listeners and give us an overview of your background and how you got involved with blockchain ventures.
3: My name is Maureen Murat. I'm with Crowdy Advisors, it is a business consulting firm that advises entrepreneurs and startups on technical aspects of starting your business from registering your LLC to getting licenses and permits that are um, required for you to transact business. I got into ICOs um, via crowdfunding, which to me is kind of like a baby of ICOs. Um, and I'm sorry. ICOs is a baby of crowdfunding, Um, and so I got into that by trying to help clients of mine who um, found the crowdfunding rules too, um, too restrictive and wanted to get into raising funds via ICOs.
2: All
4: right, Desiree, you wanna tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, definitely. So I am currently serving as the blockchain and digital currency fellow at Women for Women International. Um the CEO there, Lori Adams, has a real pet interest with blockchain and how we can use blockchain and distributed ledger technology to empower women in post-conflict marginalized areas. Um I also just began writing for 21 Cryptos, which is a cryptocurrency trade magazine. Um, and I focus on um, crypto culture. and I've also done a little work with um, analyzing some blockchain um, ventures for a DC-based venture capital firm.
2: And Desiree, for our audience, what is your last
4: name? Oh, I'm sorry. It's Desiree Dickerson. <laughs> okay,
2: great. <laughs> and Samson.
0: Hey, how is how's is everyone doing today? Uh, my name is Samson Williams. Uh, you can find me at uh, hustle Fund Baby on Twitter, or Instagram. I got into this space. I used to work at Fannie Mae, and we were exploring innovative technologies, which led me to crowdfunding. So I worked for Seed-Ups and Co-Funders based out of Derry, Ireland. Uh, if you ever want to go to Ireland, let me know. Uh, so they build ed- equity and debt crowdfunding platforms, uh, primarily for the, the EU and a few other markets around the world. And like Maureen mentioned, uh, we look at ICOs as crowdfunding 2.0 again, to, for your ICO or your initial coin offering to be successful, you need a crowd. And so it's just a slightly different take on um, equity and debt crowdfunding. And so we're looking at it from the perspective of ICO's accomplished what uh, is called the JOBS Act, our Title III of the JOBS Act was meant to do. And so we've been tracking it for a while to see how we could align ourselves to that. Um, because we look at it as we're in the first 10 minutes of a 100-year digital transformation. And so we want to be competitive into the future. And I'm very excited to be here with you, awesome group of ladies.
2: And Amy is on the phone. She couldn't join us in the studio. But can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your company, your focus, and uh, and how did you get started in blockchain ventures?
5: Sure. So my name is Amy Wan. I'm founder and CEO of SageWise, which is a dispute resolution infrastructure for smart contracts. I actually got involved in the whole Bitcoin scene back in 2013, is um, when I started getting active in it. But back then, one of the major exchanges, Mt. Gox, blew up, and so the space kind of, you know, chilled for a while. Which is why I turned my attention to crowdfunding. I started my career actually in the federal government doing international trade and regulatory affairs. Um, after the Mt. Gox incident, I became um, a general counsel at a real estate crowdfunding platform, which was, you know, one of the the first platforms to actually use some of the Crowdfunding Jobs Act regulations. Then I became partner at a law firm and, you know, most recently actually left to start my current company, uh, SageWise. Um, and and really, the reason why we kind of pivoted into the whole blockchain ICO space was because people used to seek me out uh, to help them structure novel financial products, particularly fintech companies. And so I started getting a lot of calls early last year about ICOs and actually realized that, you know, aside from all the complexities around ICOs, the, I thought the real issue was that there was a fundamental flaw in the architecture in the space, which is around smart contracts and their vulnerabilities. So that's what we're doing now. We, um, we basically build uh, infrastructure that allows smart contracts to be a lot more secure. Well, we
6: really want to... Say thank you and, uh, and express our gratitude to each of your, each of our experts here today. It's really a hot topic, ICOs, and I think there's a number of reasons that, um, particularly startups, are so interested in it. Um, part of the reason, of course, of this podcast is to start to change the ecosystem, and help entrepreneurs who are statistically underrepresented in the ecosystem get more funding. And so we've certainly talked to folks who have said, are there other options, for example, for funding a startup? And there are other reasons that people might be interested in this, but Christina, do you want
1: to? I think some other reasons, you know, people want money, they can't get it from a bank or private founder, they want to diversify the individuals that can actually invest in their company and engage their uh, consumers and customers in a different way. So before we jump into the detailed discussion on viability of ICOs, uh, Crowdfunding 2.0, as we heard earlier, uh, we want to create a baseline understanding, at least semantics, for our listeners on the definition of an ICO, blockchain, and cryptocurrency. And so, Maureen, let's start with you. Can you explain to us what is an ICO? Uh, I'll try in English. (laughs) So um,
3: an ICO, Initial Coin Offering, is an unregulated way by which startups And um, you small businesses can raise funds to either start, develop, or complete a cryptocurrency or blockchain based um, project. Um, But we have seen that other established companies have also kind of joined the space. But generally speaking, it's meant for
1: startups, as you said, Christina, who are looking for capital. Great, and Samson, can you help our listeners kind of wrap their heads around the relationship between ICO, cryptocurrency, and blockchain?
0: So, yeah, um, blockchain is, I call it um, eggs. So you can make a lot of things with eggs. You can make pancakes with eggs. You can make souffles with eggs. Pancakes are really simple to make with eggs, and so cryptocurrencies are the equivalent of pancakes. uh, They're very easy to make, and that's why you see a new cryptocurrency come being developed every um, seven hours or so. Uh, the, we call them the DLT soufflés. Those are the really hard technical things that you use blockchain for. Blockchain is the sexy name for distributed ledger technology. So if you hear blockchain or DLT, it's, it means the same thing. And so those DLT soufflés, those hard things, are like moving medical records, uh, transportation, Internet of Things, air traffic control onto a DLT network. Um, and we might want to just talk about what blockchain is. A really simple example is You'll hear that blockchain is an immutable distributed ledger. The easiest way to think about that is if you've ever been on a group text, everyone can see what's being said on the group text. No one can go back and change it. And even if you delete it off of your phone, it still exists on everyone else's phone. That's a very easy way to understand blockchain or distributed ledger technology. The difference is with cryptocurrencies, the data or or the messages are actually a record of the transactions that are being done. So when people say, hey, blockchain, it's really complicated. Think group text.
6: Amy, tell us a little bit about the regulatory framework um, and you know, maybe even some of the current debate that our listeners should know and follow. We've learned a little bit about what an ICO is, and maybe our guests want to talk a little bit more about that. We've learned a little bit about what cryptocurrency and blockchain is. Give us a little bit of the regulatory environment, then we can talk about these these concepts a little bit more.
5: Sure. So one of the big uh, regulatory considerations when any company is going out and doing an ICO is obviously the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, or, you know, not necessarily the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, but just the securities regular in whatever state or country that the company is offering their tokens in, right? And so what this really boils down to is is this company actually selling a security? And a security can be stock, it can be equity, it can be a derivative or debt. And in the case of ICOs, you know, although there are a lot of tokens out there that have some sort of utility, a lot of regulatory uh, agencies right now are actually arguing that they, you know, these are actually securities, they're investment contracts. So that's one very important debate going on right now. Um, But there's, there's other regulators that have a um, stake in the game too, and that's, for example, the CFTC, the co- commodity which you know regulates commodities, especially to the extent the token might be a derivative. There's FinCEN, which looks at money transmission licenses, um, and if a company is based out of New York or trying to sell to investors in New York, that's going to be a particular problem. And then obviously there are a lot of novel legal issues that arise just because of the. Stake. Space that we're in, right? So you've got different privacy issues, um, especially to the extent you've got users over in Europe, you've got novel tax issues, because usually when you go and raise capital, you don't actually pay taxes on it. But here, because some of these tokens have a utility, you might actually have to pay um, you know, up to 40% tax. And so these are all novel questions that not just regulators, but even uh, lawyers and law enforcement and the industry are still trying to muddle through.
2: Desiree, does a company need to be associated with blockchain technology in order to launch an ICO?
4: So I think the answer is generally no, Um, but in my opinion, it probably should be. Uh, I think there's a lot of companies that have or, you know, a decent amount of companies who have launched ICOs. I think MoonPies, it was in a different country, launched an ICO and raised a significant amount of money um, with really no underlying technology whatsoever. Um, And, you know, I think really in the States, it's especially you should really have it be based on blockchain. And I think, and I'm not a lawyer whatsoever, um, but when you get into... Securities and equity and whatnot. Um, I think utility tokens are a lot easier play um, because you're essentially buying in um, in a way that you can use that platform or that product that's being developed in the project. Um, so overall, yes, I think that it should be based on a blockchain technology. Otherwise, I think you're going to really complicate things and get yourself in a kind of a legal mess.
2: So with that background, Samson, when is an ICO a viable option for funding a new startup?
0: Uh, Well, because we have lawyers on the line. uh, (laughs) I will admit that I play a lawyer on Twitter, uh, but I'm not actually a lawyer. And so I'm going to steal their line and say it depends, uh, because as Desiree said, it really depends on what your business model is. And so if you're going to issue something that is just a traditional security, you should probably talk to a lawyer because you might not actually need blockchain one of the things that I'm fond of saying is blockchain isn't hot sauce. You can't put it on everything, so you might just need an Excel spreadsheet or a SQL database to address what your what your actual business purpose is. And so when you look at blockchain, it's sort of like uh, blockchain is will in five years, blockchain will be like Wi Fi. No one's ever going to say how oh we're leveraging Wi Fi to do our business. All right. So if it was 1993 and you were going from paper format to digital, that'd be a big thing because you're moving to this thing called the internet. And then you were going to go from AOL dial-up to Wi-Fi. And you'd really need to explain that concept because in 1993, those are foreign concepts. So nowadays, when we talk about blockchain, it's a new technology, but if you're you're not going to revolutionize or improve your business, whatever it happens to be, using a piece of tech. So blockchain should be looked at as a piece of tech to make it easier for your business to do business, to make your business more, uh, to increase the revenue for it. So when you're looking at how will blockchain impact in the future, if you, have, if you can set up a system of tokenization, um, the easiest way to think about that is, uh, let's say you want to have a podcast that has memberships to it. And so instead of charging people traditional dollars, you say you need to redeem this token, which is a blockchain-based token, to be a member. And so that's a different, it's a slightly different way of leveraging it because once you've generated this token, you can text it to someone, email it to someone, share it with someone. It never actually expires. You, the podcast owner, you always know that, oh, I was paid for this token so that token doesn't lose value. And when that token comes back to you, you don't actually care who, care who does it or who brings that token back to you. Uh, one of the great projects we're working on is They're working on tokenizing your airplane ticket so that you can change your airplane ticket in line at the gate, because at the end of the day, why do you pay more to change your airplane ticket than what you bought for it? They just need to know who you are. And so when when you have something that's on a blockchain, we can identify who you are, that way I can literally text you my ticket, sort of like it was a paper ticket, and now you can get on the plane. And so there are use cases for it, and just keep in mind, bear with us it's going to develop and in five years blockchain will be like linux and no one cares about linux and you've probably never heard about linux but linux is what makes your iphone work and again it's no one cares about linux they just care that the iphone works and in a few years that will be blockchain
6: let's go back and kind of highlight some of these foundational issues because i think we've started talking about them but for a brand new listener somebody who's not really familiar with the space, um, I think, let's talk about them just a little bit more. Uh, Maureen, maybe you want to talk a little bit more about what an ICO is. Um, Samson did a nice job of kind of talking about what blockchain is and how to analogize it. Maybe talk a little bit more about what an ICO is and and how all of this is related to cryptocurrency. I want to make sure that our listeners are really following these concepts. Okay, yeah, so an ICO
3: um, is... A way for startups to raise money to fund this great new project or um, business model um, using the use cases that Samson has mentioned, and so generally speaking, um, you know when you're trying to launch this ICO, you are trying to you have to form a business plan to determine what your financials are and what how much money you think you'll need to get this off the ground, depending on what stage you're in. Um, A lot of ICOs are in the very beginning stages, so they don't have much. Um, But there are other ICOs who have started. They have a prototype. They have an MVP. They have something. And they just know that we need this amount of money to hire this person to help us get this off the ground. And so, so long as you know what stage you're in and you're not, you know, necessarily trying to force, you know, a square peg into a round hole and you know what your limitations are, I think an ICO can be a really good way to raise capital for um, funding. And I guess we could talk about that later. But um, one thing that when you're raising money you have to be you have to keep in mind you are these are other people's money so lying and being dishonest or misrepresenting is not the way to go um but i don't know if i answered your question
6: yeah i'm wanting to to answer the question of you know why would you look at this particular um realm to raise funding period Mm -hmm. and when does it make sense and what do i need to know about this right so we're, we're still kind of building the foundation for our listeners
1: and, and I think one thing is this is a non-traditional way to raise funding. And so what questions should an entrepreneur or business owner ask themselves to consider this as a funding option?
3: One reason why someone would um, choose the ICO ICO route to raise money is, um, as I think Christina mentioned earlier, if you are not able to ac- get access to funding by traditional means, right? So you're not able to get a bank loan. You don't necessarily have family and friends who can help you out, Um the, because maybe you're at a very beginning stage um, of your project, so you might not have um, investors who are really looking at your project at the moment, um, and so the ICO might be a good um, way to do that.
0: Uh, and I would just like to add, one of the traditional, um, we look at in raising capital, particularly for entrepreneurs of color and women of color, it's exceedingly hard. And so instead of painting the barriers of accessing capital with a new fresh coat of paint, um, I, ICOs enable you to go out to your community and say, preferably through this tokenization process, we're able to get the community behind us to engage in our business, to help our business grow. One of the key features of ICOs is that they're non-dilutable, meaning, I'm sorry, they don't dilute your equity. And so if you've ever had, a, if you ever accepted a dollar from a VC, it's like accepting a dollar from the devil. Um, at least in my opinion, you're gonna get a new boss. And history shows that within 18 to 24 months, if you're the founder, uh, you have over a 50% chance of getting voted out, um, or bought out, or just fired. Um, And so this gives you an option of saying, hey, we're not part of the good old boys club, we've never been in that institutional wealth system, but if we come together as a group of people and actually show our product and demonstrate that it works, we have an option of getting funding. And so that's a little bit revolutionary that's a little bit um disconcerting to the people who've always this has always been their cheese they've always owned this bucket and so for the first time uh, people can come together as a group and say we're we don't need to storm your bastille we're just going to ignore you Uh, one of i saw a highlight yesterday in the news about there's a company called coinbase and so they've garnered over they're not they're sort of like a startup. They've garnered over a billion dollars in revenue for their platform. And it's caused the problem in San Francisco because they have so many VCs fighting to invest money in them, they're getting better terms. Because before if you accepted VC terms, like if you go on Shark Tank, whatever Mark Cuban says, does he's like either yes or no or I'm out. If you take too long, I'm out. If you look at someone else, I'm out. And so now it gives you back that power to say, Hey, I'm in charge. I can actually have a better control over my future. And for small businesses and minorities, that's an amazing capability.
4: I was also oh, I was also okay. gonna add really quick. Um, what I think is really unique about ICOs is if there is some type of utility token that's um, offered, or that's what you receive in exchange. It's a really unique way to create a community that's going to engage with your product after launch. So. You know, when you have a hedge or you have a VC give you a bunch of money, oh, there's five people who usually work at a VC. Um, are those people going to be that big of advocates in your user base? No, but with these utility tokens, if they can be used in the product, you already have a user base, which is something that you don't see really anywhere else. Um, and I, one thing I thought would be interesting. Um, that was interesting, I don't know much about it, but with this SAFTA, Mm. I'm not, someone will have to get me on the acronym, but I think ICOs are changing a lot as well because now it's giving more opportunity to those traditional institutionalized investors. So what Samson is talking about in terms of really being a diverse investment pool, I think that we might see it change a little bit
5: moving forward. Amy, would you like to jump in this conversation? Yeah, sure. If I could just offer a slightly different perspective. You know, I know a lot of people look at ICOs as a mechanism for a lot of funding or faster funding or easier funding. Um, One of the reasons why ICOs developed was because, you know, the uh, blockchain and crypto community uh, come from really like crypto-anarchist roots, right? They come from, you know these philosophical beliefs of, oh, we don't want that government intervention, all this stuff. And so a lot of the first projects, they were all very community-based. They were decentralized, right, is the term that we used for it. Um, and so these projects in particular had a very difficult time getting funding because if it's open source and it's decentralized, how are you going to go ask a traditional investor um, to fund something that just the community is working on, and might not even have a business model, right? And so, um, you know, I, I think to the extent a project is decentralized or open source or anything like that, not to say that they don't have a, they won't have a business model that goes with it, but to the extent a project is decentralized or open source, um, ICOs can be a very good option because you know a lot a lot of the Uh, people who have made a lot of money in cryptocurrency in the early years. Um, What they really want to see is they want to see, I think, infrastructure developed for the overall blockchain community to allow it to thrive and grow. And, And so I think that's one reason why folks should consider an ICO.
6: Amy, let's stick with kind of some of those those ideas, right? So you talked about a little bit about the history of ICOs and where some of these ideas came from, but there's a lot that goes into actually structuring an ICO, right? Um, recently in the news, we've seen ICOs announce delays or postpone launch dates or even stop the ICO altogether. As somebody who helps people structure these deals, what should entrepreneurs and business owners be thinking about to launch a successful ICO? and let's talk a little bit about legal considerations and so forth and don't let me forget to talk a little bit about from the investor side as well but let's start from the entrepreneur side from your from your perspective
5: sure so i'll just preface all all of that by saying i know people structure their ICOs instead we handle the smart contracting side although we are currently in the middle of you know this process of going around and figuring out how to structure our ICO but you're right it is a very complex process and in many ways it actually is much more complex than traditional angel funding or VC funding or something like that but in many ways it's also the same right so you know um I I would analogize it probably uh, much more closely with crowdfunding. So, you know, you're going to have to get together, first of all, a lot of different teams. You're going to have to have a marketing team, um, a legal team. You're going to probably use some sort of platform to help you on compliance. Um, You're going to have to have a developer that helps you with your smart contract. You're probably going to have to have smart contract security auditing firm to make sure that your smart contract is actually secure and reflects all the terms in your white paper. Um, and, And those are, you know, I would say the bare minimum in terms of teams you have to get together. In terms of materials that you have to get together, you know, I think the first thing that entrepreneurs should consider is that they need to have a white paper. And the white paper should outline the concept for the project that they're working on, um, any particular business models. um, And one of the most important and most difficult things I think about in ICO is figuring out good token economics, right? If you are putting these digital assets tokens out there into the world, well, you know, they're going to be around for a long time. And a lot of times these tokens are are capped. There's a limited supply of them. So you want to make sure that whatever your token economic structure is, um, whatever people are using your tokens for, that it's a system that will scale to millions of users, not just like the first couple thousand. And then of course, um, you know, I think we're going to probably talk about what investors should look for later. But, you know, uh, I I would say in terms of what a business should have ready, you know, everything else is pretty similar to what a startup should actually have, you know, financial projections, a deck, um, a, a great team, things like that.
1: So, Maureen, I, well, I want to come to you and ask you, you recently were actually interviewed by Portia Burton, uh, the founder of the Blockchain Explorer, and you kind of called yourself Negative Nancy. So I want you to, on the same lines, kind of talk about why shouldn't companies look at launching an ICO? When, when is it wrong to approach this?
3: Um, Yeah, so I did call myself Negative Nancy because I'm an attorney, and most times when people um, hear attorney, they think, you know, I'm only going to find things that are wrong or tell you you can't do that or, you know, Um, and so for that, that's why I called myself Negative Nancy. Um, As far as what, I guess, not to do when you're trying to launch an ICO, one of the first things I was saying was that. Um, you shouldn't lie, right? There are definitely some ICOs out there who are um, that are obviously scams, and so they're promising, you know, 10% a day on uh, the coins that you purchase. You know, 10% return a day. You know, I mean, that's just unbe- to me, it's like that's unbelievable. But people do fall for it, right? So they do end up, you know, putting their money into these scams. Um, another thing, um, I would say is, um, in reference to the white paper that, um, Amy mentioned, um, you know, when you're putting in the concepts of your business, it should be you know, related to your business, right? Granted, there are other white papers out there and those business models have succeeded, but that's not to say that you should go and, you know, let's say copy and paste what someone else did, put it in your paper and think that that will work. Um, I know an attorney who will take random sentences and white papers and put them in a Google search to see how many other white papers <laughs> that sentence has been in. So, um, and apparently it happens more often than you might think. Um, so that's something. Else. I would say that when you're creating your white paper to you know really be talking about what your business is Um, one thing I do when I have when I'm doing um, consultations is that I like to talk to them before I read the white paper because I've also found that people don't know what's in their white paper and then I've wasted my time reading it and they don't know what's in it Um, another thing um, that I would say is um, I guess kind of Piggybacking off of um, what Amy said about forming a team, not to wait too long to form the team that you need. Sometimes, if you wait too long to get legal involved, or wait too long to get marketing or the smart contracts auditors involved, um, you know that will delay your project. That might even stop your project, um, and so or stop you from being able to raise money via the ICO. Um, and um, another thing is, if you can probably do your business. You know, If your business model fits in, the, in a database, so to speak, then just use a database. You don't necessarily need the blockchain to do that.
1: Thanks for that, Maureen. And so I, I kind of want to go back to a few things. Um, Desiree, earlier you mentioned the SAFT, and I just want to define that for our listeners. It's a simple agreement for future tokens or equity. Uh, and I, I want to circle back to tokenization and really looking at, um, for small businesses, things that they can do moving forward. And Samson, you and I had a, a LinkedIn exchange, uh, and you mentioned to me, this was a few weeks ago, that the best thing small businesses can do right now is to look at potentially accepting cryptocurrency um, if they're a merchant. And so I kind of want to explore that a bit, and Desiree, we'll start with you. And just uh, if you can give us things that small business merchants or small businesses to think, should think about with accepting cryptocurrency.
4: Yeah, I think, to me, it's an obvious next step for all businesses to take and accept cryptocurrency. Um, however, I think there is obviously some risk involved. So we as a community, if if someone accepts cryptocurrency, we don't need to always be insane bag holders and hodl to the moon. Uh, we actually need to drive the acceptance. We We can't Just let these businesses invest in. I mean, even if it's not expensive, invest in the infrastructure to accept these coins, and then also manage the risk. It's it's a lot for a business. So when they start doing it, we need to really be pushing the way forward into mainstream acceptance. So I mean, even just on Overstock.com, and I think you know Overstock and and um, the CEO there have done a really good job of vocalizing um, how they've been successful with the blockchain um, in their own business and then also um, with accepting it as a payment form. So I I think it's more of a community effort than just saying, hey, small businesses should do this, but we as people who use and invest in cryptocurrency need to actually make the money move.
0: Yeah, um, I just wanna echo that um, and give a shameless plug. For HBCU at South by Southwest because they're specifically tackling how do you introduce this new form of economics into minority Latino, uh, African American, and communities of colors. So uh, HBCU at South by Southwest it's later in March where they're going to have the OHub House that is going to be accepting cryptocurrencies for some of their uh, some of their events. Specifically, it's not the be- it's the requirement is you need to go out and find what's a digital wallet how to download one, because if you're not part of this digital revolution, it's just another barrier of entry to you. Because if you put on your time travel, uh, if you go put on your time traveling hat, at one point the ATM, 1980s, that was a revolutionary bit of technology. The debit card, that was a revolutionary bit of technology. The chip in your credit cards, that just got rolled out here in the States in late 2015. Uh, Maureen has a funny story about being in China where they would not take her card because it didn't have a chip in it. And so that chip technology that's two decade old that's two decades old, and so as we see these other things like touchless pay, Apple Pay, if you don't know how to use these, and if you're not accepting them as a as a merchant, as a vendor, as a small business, people are going to walk up. They're going to say, Hey, can I pay, can I pay with this in Bitcoin or Artbytes or another cryptocurrency? And you're going to be like, That sale's going to walk out your door. That drives your customer acquisition costs through the roof. You also lose out on that lifetime value of that customer. So keep those in mind. And we'll, I I personally am looking forward to seeing more more small businesses accepting cryptocurrencies.
2: And for our audience out there, um, I know a lot of us know what HBCUs mean, but oh. can you explain <laughs> <some> to <that? laughs>
0: <laughs> Oh, okay. So HBCUs stands for Historically Black Colleges and Universities. And so as part of the initiative at South by Southwest, it's S XSW. And that's an innovation technology conference that happens every year in Austin. And they're at the leading front of technology and innovation. So HBCU at South by Southwest is at that leading front of diversity and inclusion uh, at the tech conference because we want it's a safe place where it doesn't matter what your race, gender, sexual orientation is. You can come have some of these honest, hard conversations that particularly in this day and age, we need to have.
6: Our investor audience. Let's let's tackle that side of things for a minute. Um, first of all, I want to ask a very basic question. A lot of times when we're talking about angel investing we're talking to investors, we are assuming that an investor is an accredited investor, right? Um, and when we talked with Jenny, we learned that there are all sorts of regulations that allow people to invest without being an angel investor an accredited investor. And crowdfunding has led the way in that. Let's talk about do you need to be an accredited investor to invest in an ICO, or are there other rules or regulations about um, being an investor
5: in that space? So it really depends on what regulations, if any, that the company that's offering its tokens is raising under, right? So if they're offering their their pre-sale or their ICO sale under Regulation D, um, then, you know, most of the time, yes, they do need to be accredited, especially if it's a Regulation d five, six c offering. Um, and then there are other avenues in which they can take um, investment from non-accredited investors. And so those in particular are Regulation A and Regulation Crowdfunding. Now, this is in particular for U.S. investors. For ICOs that are, you know, doing their offerings outside of the U.S., um, there is a regulation called Regulation S where, you know, it does not it's not set to say that there are no limitations, but, you know, there are a lot fewer because the SEC's domain is really around U.S. investors and not foreign investors. The unfortunate thing is, you know, um, given that the Internet is this vast, expansive place where people can just easily get a VPN and dial in from another country, there's... Uh, there's a lot of issues right now around identity verification and where someone is actually a citizen. So, you know, uh, one should not lie about where they live so that uh, they they don't actually end up putting the, the ICO company at harm.
6: Maureen, do you want to jump in and say to our investors what they should be considering and looking at investments in an ICO?
3: Um, yes. Yeah, so I guess just on a more basic level let's say you are a non-accredited investor and you um, are thinking about investing in ICO I think it's imperative that you look at the website in which you know the website of the company that you're thinking about buying those ICOs from, the website can tell you a lot. If it's not put together, you might be like, okay, that's not where I want to put my money. Or um, I would also, oftentimes they upload their white paper or other information about what their actual project is. I would also say to take a look at that, you know, because I think it, you know, when things are missing, where there when there are no, you know, financial fundamentals or anything in the paper, you can kind of hopefully be able to tell that that might not be where you want to, you know, investor money
1: you know one of the resources that i i like is ico bench and you can actually go to that website and uh, get information on teams uh, financials i would also add um, you know one of the things that i did was actually start reaching out to icos that i was interested in Uh, and this brings me to a question uh, samson for you we've recently seen a, a an increase in icos restricting participation by certain countries and us is one of those countries that lots of icos right now are restricting can you talk about why and why is that something we should think about?
0: Uh, I'm only a lawyer on Twitter. <laughs> so uh, part of it is the SEC and just they're trying to respond to what is a disruptive technology. I want to just quite, uh, give you a good example. Uh, there used to be a thing called a VHS, right? If you were born before 2000, you probably don't know what that is. After 2000, you don't know what that is. And so the Sony Corp sued to have VHS so that it wouldn't be rolled out. As they said, it would fundamentally disrupt and end the cinema and video, uh, video industry. It went all the way up to the Supreme Court. Why? Because they owned, they owned that monopoly. They owned that power structure for controlling VHS. Now that technology is so obsolete, many of our, many of our listeners may not even know what a VHS tape is. And so when we look at blockchain, we look at cryptocurrencies, it is an evolution of, a, of technology. It falls under fintech which is financial technology, it also falls under disruptive. And so for a technology to be disruptive, it needs to disrupt someone. In this instance, it's disrupting the regulator's comfort zone because they don't know how to deal with something like the Bitcoin blockchain. Bitcoin has no CEO. It has no board. There's no HR department. um, You don't go to its building, yet it's worth mm, about $400 billion. But you can't sue it because no one owns it. And so that's really hard to regulate, and so that's one of the things that regulators will will struggle with, uh, just not now, but in the future as technology continues to disrupt things.
2: Wow, that's so interesting. I'm learning so much from you all about this. So, Desiree, how can investors identify ICO scams and what are the viable investment options that are out there? I guess that's a two-part question.
4: <laughs> okay. Um, so I think one of the popular acronyms, at least on crypto Twitter, is D-Y-O-R, which I, you know, D-Y-O-R, like do like Dior or do your own research better. Um, so do your own research is really the best thing that you can do. And I mean, y- you – it's kind of like almost going on a Tinder date. I mean, you need to like get to the bottom of like what is going on here. So that's really um, reading the white paper. I mean, Most white papers that I've read have like right off the bat spelling grammatical errors. For me, that doesn't fly. Um, then l- looking into the team, the team is really going to be who's pushing this forward. Um, so do you believe in the team? Do they have a good history? Look at the Telegram and the Slack groups. What is the community around this like? Who else is investing in this type of, in this project? I think that's really important because, you know, if you want this to succeed, you can't be the only person backing it. So just kind of going down the line, looking on Twitter and seeing what's out there and I mean, really just being very critical of everything and, you know, if you ever have a doubt, one of the... What, one of my main things is, okay, you don't have to get in on this at the ICO stage, right? I mean, if you're really unsure, but you're really passionate about it, wait till it hits an exchange, um, and then you can, can purchase um, tokens
1: there. So, um, yeah, Dior. <laughs> well, we appreciate all of your thoughts. I want to just spend some time going uh, to each panelist and having you guys talk about three things. One is, what do you think is next with ICOs, and what final recommendations do you have for our listeners? The second is what resources? I think we've heard a few uh, so far on the call or on the conversation. What resources do you recommend for our listeners, particularly around, Samson, you mentioned barriers barriers of entry. And I think one big area is education, awareness, and actually using and playing around with the technology or understanding it enough to know how it will impact your daily life in the future. And then the third is, you know, how can our audience find you and follow you? So Samson, we'll start with you.
0: Um, For resources and education, check out blockchainlibrary.org. That's blockchainlibrary.org. Also, shout out to Portia Burton. She runs Blockchain Explainer. Uh, You can check that out at blockchainexplainer.com, where you can get some information on how to stay in tune with what's happening now and next. Uh, where, Where are cryptocurrencies and blockchain going? Uh, tokenization and tokenomics, and so that's going to be have to be a different podcast because it's very complex. But check Google tokenization and tokenomics. Uh, you can follow me on my personal Twitter handle at Hustle Fund Baby. Uh, it's like a trust fund baby, but I hustle at Hustle Fund Baby. Uh, we have a, I actually work um, partner at Axes and Eggs. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Axes and Eggs. Is also LinkedIn. Um, that isn't so interesting because this conversation about economics about uh, blockchain and cryptocurrencies, it's really about economic empowerment, and so that tends to be a little political, uh, because cryptocurrencies exist because of the community, uh, because people have always known the system is rigged, they just never knew how. And so in this age of digital information and exchange, people are getting some insight that it is rigged and this is how. So if you have a question, find me on LinkedIn. Uh, my name is Samson Williams, or follow me on Instagram or Twitter at Great, Thank you, and
1: Maureen?
3: um yes so um i would uh to piggyback off of what samson said yes i think it's icos um are going towards tokenomics but i also think that in the future the projects and the use cases will also just get better right they'll be more um in tune with things that we see in our daily lives that will be you know made easier um and i also want to say that i know that we've spoken a lot about all a lot of the things that can go wrong but there are benefits to it and i think we've also mentioned that the fact that you can build community and um networking networks that you know that um support your project and your idea and hopefully you know will also help it grow Um, Sources I recommend, um, there's this website called Coindesk. They have lots of news on there to kind of keep up with, um, you know, good and bad things that are going on in the blockchain world. Um, I would also say that the um, coins that you are in, interested in, that you should go to their websites as well. That could also be a good resource. Um, you can follow me at Crowdy Advisors on uh, what are the top ones? Facebook, Instagram, sorry, <laughs> and Twitter. Um, I'm also at on LinkedIn, Maureen L. Murat at link, on LinkedIn.
4: And uh, I think to add where ICOs are going, I think it will be really interesting. At the end of 2017, ICOs you didn't even want to say that word, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it was crazy. And now, you know, they're making a revival. So I think it'll be really interesting. One thing I hope for is just responsible fundraising. I mean, I think if all you have is a white paper and two people, I'm sorry, but you don't need $50 million. Or there needs to be like very strict um, milestones that need to be set in terms of uh, being accountable for the spending of that money. So that's something I personally really hope that happens. In terms of resources, um, Coin Center, I can't promote Coin Center enough. They do a lot with regulation and policy on the hill. I mean, they are the boots on the ground. um, Following all the folks who work there, Niraj. I mean, they just are just a wealth of knowledge on Twitter. So I I highly recommend checking that out. Also, uh, my Twitter handle is at Dickerson underscore Des, D-E-S, so you can follow me
5: there. Great, and Amy, from your side? Sure. I mean, in terms of thoughts about what's next for ICOs and where the industry is going, you know, a lot of people analogize this space to the early days of the internet, right? Um, I mean, you saw, well, at least in the crypto community, we saw uh, a D app called Crypto Communities, uh, Crypto Kitties, come out. Uh, I think at the end of 2017, and you know, everyone was a buzz about it, um, but. You know, at the same time, it was kind of like the neopets of, uh, you know, the the blockchain era, right? And so, you know, back then during the Internet Revolution, a lot of people um, thought, well, any company that is on a website and, you know, does e-commerce is a tech company. And now, several, you know, decades later, that just simply isn't true. Um, I think we're going to see something similar with the blockchain space where you know right now you have every sort of business that's trying to go onto the blockchain um, and that may be where the future is but that doesn't necessarily make them blockchain or tech companies right um, and so what I'm really interested in particular is infrastructure projects because I don't think yet that the infrastructure is there um, I think the space is still very early, very nascent um, in terms of trends. Right? I think now in in early 2018, we are starting to see uh, some more disciplinary mechanisms in the space. Mechanisms in the space. So that includes, you know, vesting schedules for founders and advisors. We've got lockup or holding period so that they can't just pump and dump their tokens. Um, so a little bit more discipline coming to the space from that perspective. In terms of what resources I usually follow, I mean, obviously there's, you know, a ton of news sites out there. Um, I co-host a show called ICOinvestor.tv, um, which interviews a lot of the top ICOs that are coming out. Um, I also write for Crowdfund Insider. Um, and I, I honestly follow a lot of the community sentiment through a lot of the Facebook cryptocurrency type groups. Um, and then in terms of, you know, where people can find me, well, our website is sagewise.io. Um, people can sign up for our newsletter there, especially to the extent they're interested in smart contracts and the security around them. Our telegram is uh, also sagewise, so it's t.co forward slash sagewise. Um, they can find me on all social media, you know, Twitter, Instagram, um, my uh, and LinkedIn, my uh, username is usually Amy Y1, W-A-N. So looking forward to connecting with the audience.
6: Well, to each of our guests today, thank you so much. Amy, Desiree, Maureen, and Samson, this was amazing. Great show. We covered a lot of material. We talked about just from the outset, what is an ICO? What is a blockchain? And Samson told us to think about a group text message, which is a great analogy, Um, we talked about what it means and what, um, we're going to see in this space, that this is a new technology and that it's going to become more and more ubiquitous and there is a political undercurrent, right? That people are really thinking about this, seeing this, um, pushing the possibilities for accessibility for different kinds of communities and that there is a community that is growing online around different, um, companies that have issued tokens and also just kind of thinking about the possibilities within that, um. We've talked a little bit about the pros and cons, both from the entrepreneur side and the investor side. And each of our experts gave you some great resources to consider. So lots here, pretty dense. We hope you will definitely take it all to heart, learn more and really get involved in this part of the uh, startup and entrepreneurship ecosystem. So thanks again. Don't forget to sign up for our newsletter, go to our website, get found, get funded, and don't miss an episode.